I said, put the bunny back in the box. Why couldn't you put the bunny back in the box? Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of the Hyperbaric Reviews with your two hosts, two men who sadly know nothing about dealing with massive talent. It's Bread Roll and JT. <laughs> Very true, Bread Roll, unfortunately. Yeah, hello everyone. We're back again. <laughs> and um, we're looking at a film that's been on our radar since we first heard about it, Bread Roll. So I'm sure people have seen the thumbnail and read the title, but what are we looking at this week? Well, this week we are looking at the unbearable weight of massive talent which came out, uh, I believe its main release was April the 22nd, 2022. Uh, it stars Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal. It runs for 107 minutes and it had a budget of 30 million. It came back for a box office of 29.1, so it just failed to break even. But I have seen it had a very limited uh, release in the cinema. I don't even think it came out in the UK cinemas. I think it had a brief launch in North America. Then it appeared in New Zealand for like the blink of an eye. And that was about it, really. It's weird, isn't it? I mean, Nick Cage bangs out movies every week, it seems, these days anyway. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it didn't even take that long to hit the streaming sites, did it? I mean, it popped up on Amazon, what, sort of October time, so six months or so later, which is obviously where we watched it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Nick Cage, he's not really the box office draw he once was, although he's still funny and he is quite talented in his own sort of funny, strange way. He's not exactly like big dollar anymore, is he? He's not, no, he has made a bit of a comeback, but um, like you say, he's not like the big draw that. Oh, Pedro Pascal, he's risen through the ranks over the last few years. He's also another guy who just seems to appear in everything at the moment, and he's on a, been a bit of a rise really since Game of Thrones. He's been in things, um, obviously, he's mainly known for being the Mandalorian at the moment, but he's been in quite a few bits here and there. So, two fairly uh, prominent actors, at least as far as obviously um, consistency of releases go because like you say cage releases a movie every week and pedro tends to be in two or three things a year whether it's on tv or movies he's kind of one of those actors who sort of goes between the two isn't he he's not really a dedicated movie star or tv star he's sort of a bit of a in the middle limbo type actor yeah he is i mean i first saw him in narcos which i really like that's where i first sort of thought oh shit this, this guy's pretty good and then i actually realized he was the mandalorian because obviously you don't really see his face too much in the mandalorian and he has popped up in a few other things here and there. He was in that um, film I watched. I don't think you ever watched it, The Bubble, or did you watch it? He made a bit of a cameo in that, and he pops up here and there in quite a few things, doesn't he? He is, yeah. yeah I did start watching The Bubble. I didn't watch all of it, but, um, yeah, he's also uh, doing The Last of Us TV series. For anyone who's a PlayStation fan out there, and he's played The Last of Us, he's playing Joel in the TV series by HBO, so keep an eye out for that one. I didn't know that. Um, I never did finish that game. Now I've got rid of my PlayStations. a bit of a crime really because it's supposed to be a very good game i did enjoy what i played of it i didn't didn't know he was going to be in that that'd be interesting yeah yeah he's uh, not a bad actor really and um he's pretty good in in this obviously we'll get to the synopsis uh in a moment really but um yeah it's an interesting movie because it's one of those ones where when it first got announced i was like this has literally got to be like the end of the line for nicholas cage obviously it's not he's still doing about a thousand movies a year <laughs> but when it was like nicholas cage is now finally playing himself it's like this is going to go Either way, isn't it? it's either going to be absolutely incredible or it's going to be an absolute disaster. It's just straight away one of those types of movies. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got old um, Neil Patrick Harris makes a bit of a cameo appearance in this as well from uh, Starship Troopers fame, amongst other things, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's not in it that much, actually. But no, yeah, he tends to, he's another actor who tends to appear in loads of things just randomly, never as a, a main character as such. But he does uh, come to light here and there, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he play he plays Nick Cage's agent, doesn't he? If I remember rightly, it was over a week ago I saw this. Now, yeah, yeah, he he does play his um his agent. I think 
we see at the start of the movie, and I think we see right at the end, and in between, we don't actually see much of him. No, he's not in it a lot. Cool. So let's have a look at the old synopsis then. So this is coming from Wikipedia as usual. So thank you very much to whoever wrote this one. So Hollywood actor Nicolas Cage is struggling with his career after being passed over for several movie film roles and is constantly pestered by and tormented by Nicky, who appears as his younger self and more successful self. His relationship with his ex-wife Olivia and daughter Addie is also marred by years of emotional neglect. Following an embarrassingly humiliating event at Addie's birthday party and losing a key film role, Cage plans to retire from acting. He decides to accept the vague offer of a million dollars from his agent Richard Fink that involves going to Mallorca to meet billionaire playboy Harvey Gutierrez, I think I'm saying that right, and to be the guest of honour at his birthday. So that's pretty much uh, the opening of this movie. What did you think of it, JT? Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It opens with like um, a couple watching Nick Cage, a Nick Cage film, I can't which one it is, on their TV, and then he gets uh, they get attacked in their own home. And I think that's the girl who gets kidnapped, isn't it? Um, so I was like, what the hell's going on here at the start? And then we cut to Nick Cage, and he's driving and singing along. And to, I don't know what he's even singing, but the first noise he makes in the whole film is like, mm-hmm. it's this weird sort of screaming noise <laughs> when he's singing. I'm like, oh, God, it's going to start as it means to go on kind of thing. Yeah, I believe they're watching Con Air um, on the TV. Because I remember, I didn't tell Rachel this is the film we were going to watch. And I started playing it. She walked in, and she got, oh, God, we're watching Con Air again, which is actually a really good <laughs> Nicolas Cage film from the 90s. It's like, no, no, it's not. And then, like you say, they're watching it, and it's kind of like a film in the film. Then she gets kidnapped, and we see Cage just, well, being Nick Cage, really. Um, yeah, yeah, strange intro. He is quite weird, isn't it? And that's when um, he first meets, um, I think it, that's when he meets Neil Patrick Harris, isn't it, straight after this? Or I can't remember if it's Neil he meets or someone he meets, and he, he insists he, um, he reads his script, doesn't he? They're like, you don't need to read his eye, I want to read it. And he's like, doesn't he say something about, um, I, I want to read this before your asshole has a chance to pucker up or something? I've got that here in my notes. So I'm assuming that's what he says, but it is a while since I saw this. Yeah, it's something to that effect. Because he goes to meet the whoever this director is, isn't he? And then he, like, he's insisting on reading the part. Then he reads it and all these people are stopping and staring because he's just going all like full on cage in the middle of like a car park. And then he goes to meet um, Neil Patrick Harris, doesn't he? Who tells him that um, he didn't get the part. And then that Harvey... Um, wants him to go to like the birthday, and then he goes to meet his um his ex wife and his daughter. Yeah, that's right. I mean, just in between sort of those bits when he just before he goes to meet his ex wife and his daughter, that's when we first see um Nicky Cage, the younger Nick Cage. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? He's having an argument with like a younger version of himself. I'm like, right, this is quite strange now. Yeah, I gotta say, I mean, I know this is not a movie with a massive budget, as we saw, it's quite modest at uh, thirty million, but. The de-aging they did with um, Nick Cage to turn him into Nicky looks fucking dreadful. Like, he looks like he's had a stroke or something. His mouth did not move properly. Obviously, <laughs> normal Cage in this movie is sort of like a beard and everything. So I imagine they tried to CGI over that and it just worked pretty badly. And I just thought it was fucking dreadful. Yeah, it's not brilliant, is it? And um, he goes to talk to his shrink, doesn't he, about making too many movies and his relationship with his daughter and all that. So that sort of opens up to that. And then we, it does cut to him with his ex-wife and, and his daughter and she's not impressed is, he the, is she the daughter because he makes her watch all these stupid films and she's just pretty much like saying you're self-obsessed and you're not really a father which obviously um, plays out through the whole film yeah because he's like the cabinet of Dr Caligari together and you loved it and she goes no you loved it you just made me watch it and he's kind of just obsessed with himself isn't he he's trying to like project himself onto like his daughter basically and she's obviously resenting him for it 
Yeah, and then he goes to that birthday party and his phone rings and he, he just picks up the phone and answers it. He doesn't actually press any buttons to answer it. I just noticed that. He just like goes hello and starts talking. It's like, you haven't even answered your phone, Nick. But there we go. He just puts it to his ear. And then he breaks out the whiskey, doesn't he, at this birthday party, which he does pretty much throughout this whole film. And then he gets pretty drunk pretty quickly. I don't know if it's a bit of time's passed, but then he starts fucking singing and that is painful, isn't it? It's so bad. Yeah, it is. And you can really like feel for like the daughter in that as well. Like if, if that was like your old man doing that, and you're like, I think it's her sixteenth birthday party or something like that. Um yeah, you'd be like mortified, wouldn't you? But I think that's actually the film called it tells him he didn't get the part, which is why he starts jumping on the whiskey. Like you say, he gets uh he does get drunk pretty quick. Yeah, he, does. he did the other night in um the only falls episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true actually. Um I mean my old man, luckily, I mean he would drink the whiskey, but he certainly wouldn't sit at a piano and sing a really bad song. So that's one thing <laughs> I've got to thank him for, I guess. But yeah, I mean then he calls his act his agent, doesn't he? And, um says, Right, I'm quitting acting, which obviously in real life couldn't be further from the truth, as you, as we said earlier, he puts out a film every bloody week. Yeah. And um the bit where he goes to Mallorca, um when he first gets to the airport, there's like this weird thing going on, isn't it? And I was I was trying to figure out, like, trying to think ahead of, like, where this was going. There's, like, these, um, you know, they're, like, CIA, FBI agents and stuff kind of watching him, and they're expecting someone to get off the plane. It ends up being Nick Cage, and they're chatting to him at the airport. And um, the bloke, I haven't got the actor's name in front of me, but it's um, the security guard from Suicide Squad, isn't it? Like, the one who, um, don't know if you recognised him in that. He's the one who's, like, walking around, like, just taking the piss out of them all and not letting them out of their cells and stuff, and has that line that's like, oh, if I get killed, then delete my browser history and shit. I didn't, actually. Oh, no. Um, that was bad of me, wouldn't it? No, I didn't didn't pick up on that at all, Redroll. Fair. So, um, upon meeting Harvey, Cage is initially annoyed by his uh, needlessness for insistence that they create an imp- improvisional, can't get me words out, movie based on a script he wrote. But it soon ins- inspires that Harvey's determination and the two of them quickly bond over their surprisingly shared love of films such as The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Paddington 2, the <laughs> latter of which Cage watches for the first time with Harvey. Soon after, Cage is confronted by CIA agents Vivian and Martin. They suspected Harvey, who has claim- who uh, they claim may ha- made his fortune through arms dealing, is being behind the kidnapping of Maria, the daughter of an anti-crime politician. With the hope that he would drop out of the upcoming election, Cage insists that his acting instincts would have detected if Harvey was a criminal, but he eventually decides um, to help the CIA with their mission. So stumbled on me words a bit there, all the crazy names going on. But um, yeah, this is where the movie, like, I don't know if it was trying too much, because like, he meets Harvey, and it's pretty cool, because um, Pedro Pascal, he plays the kind of likeable, sh- kind of like shy guy, like he's a massive Nick Cage fan, isn't he? And he's like really kind of like nervous around Nick Cage at first. He plays the part really well and you do like him. But when all this like CIA stuff started coming into it, I was trying to be like, so I've just been set up. Is it actually really the CIA? And I just, I was starting to lose it already. And the movie barely just started. Yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. Um, again, we talk about Nick Cage cracking out the whiskey. He's, he's drinking whiskey on the plane. Then he gets on a boat with um, old Pedro Pascal Harvey and he's drinking more whiskey. I'm like, fuck me, Nick. Does like his whiskey, but then we've seen him do that in other films as well. <laughs> he does like a, a drink, old Nick Cage. I guess that's why he's making all these films to um, sort of uh, pay for his uh, alcohol addiction. But yeah, it's, um, it is a bit strange, isn't it? And um, I think, doesn't Harvey say... Um, think about do you want me to suck your dick or fuck your wife or something to to nick cage i can't remember what he says now again it's in my notes but it's a couple of weeks since i watched this but he's probably in love with nick cage isn't he he's in awe of him and like you say he's really awkward around him 
Yeah, yeah, I do, I do remember him saying so. I can't remember it's him who says it, or if Cage says it to him. Um, I think it's yeah, Cage it really... to him, actually. I think that's, yeah, I think he says that to him because he's like properly, like pretty much, like, yeah, just not phys- physically, obviously, but metaphorically sucking him off, isn't he, almost? Yeah, yeah, he definitely is. And he certainly lives in a lovely mansion. Obviously, we find out he's a bit of a cartel um, or like leader of a cartel type sort of outfit. And um, But his house is lovely. And then, like I say, like Cage is just on the drink all the time. And like, he's just sat down by the swimming pool and like this bright red silk fucking, I don't know, dressing gown or robe or whatever it's supposed to be. Just looking absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, again, with a whiskey by him. Then he just picks up a beer bottle and just walks into the swimming pool. And he just he's drinking beer at the bottom of the swimming pool, isn't he? Which is quite random. Yeah, because you've got like this woman and I don't know if she's supposed to be like the maid or whatever. And it turns out she's kind of in love with Harvey. Um, but like she goes to like wake Cage up, doesn't she? And she's like, oh, he wants to take you to the cliffs. And he's like, no, no, I want to stay in bed. He said, no, he's flown you over here. So you'll go and pretend to have a good time. And then like, this is where, again, it started confusing me because Harvey's like, oh, we're being chased by the man and all this sort of stuff. And he's trying to get him to like read script lines on the edge of a cliff and they end up just fucking jumping off into the water, don't they? Yeah, it's pretty random because I'm pretty sure he's still got his dressing gown on. And he's just in his pants, and then Harvey just takes him off to see the clips, and then they just suddenly run off, saying people are after him. And then they just jump into the sea in slow motion. I'm like, okay, this is definitely a bit weird now. Yeah, I got a, one bit that did make me laugh though is when they're they're both drunk and they're obviously bonding a bit, and they say, "Oh yeah, we both like the cabinet of Doctor Caligari and stuff." And then he's like, "Oh, what's your top three movies?" and um. Harvey's like, oh yeah, Paddington too, and Cage is taking the piss out of him. Then it cuts to him watching it, and Cage is like bawling his eyes out, like this is the saddest movie I've ever seen. I've never actually <laughs> seen the Paddington movies. I have heard they're good, but I don't know if I'm on my way to watch them and maybe not cry over them. <laughs> no, I haven't seen them either. My daughter has, but she's nine, so probably more in her ballpark than ours. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and then Nick, he's been drinking all day. We've seen him drinking on a plane, drinking on a boat, drinking by the pool. And then he, he goes to a bar and he's drinking more. And then that's, he sees Nicky again, doesn't he? And he randomly like starts kissing him. He's probably like snogging him. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that was written into the script or if it's something that came out of Cage's, uh, you know, um, creative input. I'm really not too sure there. <laughs> definitely random and that's when he gets kidnapped by the CIA and they chuck him in the back of this van and then it's just something like um, his nouveau shamanic acting ability makes him more qualified than the CIA I'm like what the fuck are you on about Nick and then he they sort of use his daughter as a comparison to the kidnapped girl Maria don't they and that sort of wins him over and that's how they sort of get him on side they're like just think if it was your daughter and all that and then he kind of like sort of agrees to do what they ask yeah, and then they kind of realise that he is a bit of a method actor, so they use some sort of trigger words, don't they, a bit later on in the movie to kind of get him to sort of stay on mission. Yeah. So after successfully rigging the cameras in Harvey's compound, Cage attends a party where he announces his collaboration of Harvey on a new movie and as an excuse to stay on the compound long enough to find Maria. After a misadventure involving LSD, Cage and Harvey decide that their movie should be about their friendship. Cage later discovers that Harvey keeps a shrine room dedicated to all of his movies, including a wax figure of his character, Castor Troy, from the film Face Off, complete with identical golden guns. Vivian suggests that Cage includes a kidnapping in their script to get Harvey's reaction to it. This bit was actually quite amusing, where he's, um, he's, try- he's at the party, isn't he? And then he's doing his first mission, where he's got to sneak into like, the server room and like, put like a bug or something in there. But he's... Um, Drug, ain't he? That's obviously supposed to render people unconscious, but he ends up like wiping his own forehead with it, so he's literally passing out as he's trying to fucking go in. It becomes a bit slapstick. Yeah, I think this whole section here is probably my favourite part of the movie. Um, this whole sort of 
10, 20 minutes sort of bit here, you just uh, described in the synopsis. He does seem to know what to do when he's rigging those cameras, though, doesn't he? He goes straight up to him and starts doing shit with them. He's, he seems to sort of know exactly what to do without any experience. But it is pretty funny when he touches his forehead with that incapacitating stuff. And then he's locked the antidote in the room, isn't he? He's talking to the CIA on the radio. And they're like, where's the antidote? He's like, I've locked it in the room. But then he, he starts walking along this ledge. He climbs out the window and starts walking along the ledge to get back into the room. And he's like, I can feel my legs. They're like rubber. He's like starting <laughs> to get really light. Obviously, he's starting to trip out a bit. But I'm thinking, how the fuck are you managing to stay on that ledge? Because at one point, he can hardly walk straight. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, <laughs> just a bit far-fetched, isn't it? I know this film was never supposed to be, obviously, tailored to, like, the exact reality. And then, like, he passes out and he's got to kind of inject himself, Pulp Fiction style, and she's like, she has to say action, doesn't she, to get him to actually wake up and do it, otherwise he's just going to be passed out and caught by security. Yeah, I mean, that is quite funny, isn't it? He gets so close and he just passes out and he, he sort of, he does wake up and stab himself. And again, it works pretty quick. Um, I'm sure these antidotes do, because in Pulp Fiction, the minute... Um, she gets old Mia, and it gets stabbed in the heart. She wakes up straight away. So maybe it is instant, but yeah, he, he wakes up and then he, he's pretty coherent straight away, isn't he? Yeah, he's just straight back to being, you know, well, as coherent as Cage can be, really. <laughs> and um, we cut to the bit, uh, obviously, the next day where he's exploring the compound. And I don't know about you, but as soon as he found that kind of, it's like that mirror door, isn't it? And they're like, oh, maybe he's got a uh, hidden in there, the girl he's kidnapped. And straight away, I turned to Rachel and said, I bet that's going to be a shrine to him, which later on it turns out to be. But straight away, I was like, I'm not convinced that, the, um, one, that Harvey's a kidnapper, and two, that the girl is going to be behind that door. Yeah, I mean, again, spoiler alert, I actually had the synopsis in front of me while I was making my notes, which I do when I watch these films sometimes, and I shouldn't have done, because I read ahead and said, like, I knew it was going to be a shrine. But maybe I would have thought it anyway, I don't know. But because it was there in front of me, I can't really lay claim to that one. But doesn't he say, he says to Harvey something like, oh, your screenplay is the greatest thing ever. And Harvey's like, do you want to be in it? He's like, no, I don't. I thought that was quite funny, just the way he deadpan says that. And then when they do take the um, the acid and they're driving along that cliff, which is in an old, I think it's a Porsche 356, a nice uh, old school Porsche. Um, it's not a great idea, is it, to drive on acid? I mean, you can't really do a lot on acid, but fucking driving along a cliff road, that's probably the worst thing you want to do. Yeah, right. I mean, I wouldn't want to drive one along one of those roads anyway. They always kind of freak me out because they're so narrow with like mm. a massive drop next to it. But I got to admit, the one bit I, I did laugh out loud at this is like <laughs> they're obviously on LSD and the faces they're pulling, like Nick just kind of turned around to Harvey with like this really weird fucking face. And Harvey just got this massive, weird, fucking weird grin going on. And that, that bit was actually making me chuckle a bit. Yeah, it is quite funny, isn't it? Although Nick, he's texting Vivian, the CIA woman, and like he's tripping his tits off, but he's texting really clearly. And like you know, having been in that situation a long time ago, I hasten to add, there's no way you'd be able to text the, the letters are going to be dancing all over the screen. But you know, he's like tripping his nuts off and sort of being weird with Harvey. Then he's texting like he's completely normal, and I thought that doesn't really wash, to be honest. Yeah, I did think the act it was a bit inconsistent. Again, it's only supposed to be done for comedy value, but like one minute they're kind of behaving. Like they're obviously they're straight as an arrow. Then obviously the rest of it they're behaving like they're um they're off their tits because they see those two guys in the um the market, don't they? And they think they're being kind of watched. And he's like, oh, don't look over there. Obviously, you know, laugh and look over your shoulder. And then Harvey just does this like really obvious like laughing and staring at these guys. And then they run to try and jump over the wall, which in the end they could have just walked around. I thought again like that section was pretty amusing. That did make me laugh actually. Yeah, because Nick's trying to pull Harvey over the wall, isn't he? And he's like, I'm gonna die. Goodbye. And then they just walk round it. So like, oh, we, we could have just gone this way. So that bit <laughs> did make me laugh. But apparently those two guys they, they see, or is it two guys or a woman and a guy? I can't remember. But anyway, the couple they see 
Um, when they originally filmed that shot, then they went back to film the second part. The two people, the extras, weren't available, so they had to use two completely different people. Um, I didn't notice they were different. Obviously, they made them look as similar as they could, and they put them in the same clothes. But in those two shots, when they go back to it, there is two different people. Oh, I I did not even notice that. Again, I thought it was the same people because I think it's like one's got a blue shirt, one's got a pink shirt, hasn't they? And that's probably the only thing I was really paying attention to at that point in time. Um, yeah, I didn't even notice they were different people. No, I didn't. It's only when I was um, making a couple of extra notes yesterday that I saw that. I certainly didn't notice it at the time. Um, but then Harvey makes Nick drive the car the second time, which doesn't go so well because he crashes it. Um, but And he says, oh, you're the better driver. But I'm thinking, well, Harvey did a pretty good job of driving it around a cliff when he was off his tit. So why didn't he drive it the second time? Yeah, because they think they're being chased, don't they, at this point? Or they are being chased and not shot. And he's like, oh, but you did all your stunts in, like, gone in 60 seconds. And Cage's like, oh, yeah, that's right, I did. That was a good <laughs> film. And he just jumps behind the wheel of the car and starts driving. Yeah, exactly. And Harvey's being all, like, sinister. Once Nick goes outside that room, it turns out to be the shrine. He's like, but once you go in there, it could feel the way, change the way you feel about me. And he's being all weird about it. And obviously... You fucking would, because um, it is quite strange. <laughs> Doesn't he say something like to Nick Cage? Doesn't he go, is it too much? And he's like, trippy, trippy, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to spot, when they went in there, um, I was trying to think, oh, what movies have we got in here that I could recognise? And straight away, I was like, oh, that's the um, that's the axe from Mandy, like your favourite mm. film. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, oh, I spotted that one straight away. And then a few other bits, and I love the way like he reacts when he sees like the kind of the mannequin, which does look fucking hideous. It's like, how much did you pay for this monstrosity? And he's like, I know, like $5,000. I'll give you $2 million for it, or something to that effect. <laughs> it's like, fucking hell. Yeah, he does. And yeah, I, I picked up that. He even mentions the thing from Mandy. He's also got that cushion, which you can get with a Nick Cage face on it. You can actually buy those, which is quite funny. But yeah, that statue is pretty freaky. Um, and then I, I noticed this here, and again, later on, I don't know if he's been wearing them all throughout the film, but there's one sort of close-up you see of Nick Cage. He's got these crazy fucking rings on that Del Boy would be proud of. Massive fucking rings he's wearing. He does, doesn't he? Like proper, like, rock star-style mm. rings, isn't it? That really don't really go with, like, his image in this movie, at least the way they probably see maybe the younger Nicky version of himself. But, yeah, they are pretty hefty. Yeah, I just, I just noticed him for the first point here. I don't know if he'd like to say he'd been wearing them for the rest of the film, but you see him again a bit later on. But yeah, I thought, fuck me, Dale would love those sort of rings. And when they're again looking at that um that mannequin of Cast Detroit, and Face Off is a great movie for anyone who hasn't seen it, definitely check it out. Um, when they're sort of making a point of talking about like the golden guns, and he was like, yeah, yeah, they were really made for the movie and this, that, and the other. I was like, right, they're going to come into play later on. They, in some way or the other, they're obviously talking about them too much for them to not come into play. Yeah, they do go to town on them, don't they? It's a bit obvious that they are going to come into play later. And they do, spoiler alert. Yeah. So Cage explains his new idea to Harvey, who believes that Cage is distracted by his family issues. Vivian tells Cage to flee or possibly kill Harvey, as Harvey has discovered their plot. Harvey reveals he's brought Cage's family to his villa. Cage tries to make amends with them, but they reject his appeal and accuse him of prioritising his film career over his family. Harvey privately goes to meet um, with his cousins, Lucas, who is revealed to be the true arms dealer and the one who kidnapped Maria. Lucas warns him that Cage is working for the CIA and pressures him to kill Cage or else Lucas will kill Harvey. To this bit, I know they tried to obviously throw like a kind of, I don't know, like make, make the audience probably think differently. But even at this point, I was like, I still don't believe that Harvey is the, um, like the villain of this piece, really. He just doesn't seem like they're going to twist it because they made him too much of a likeable character. Then obviously he invites like obviously Cage's family along and everything, and that kind of goes tits up at first. But at no point was I thinking Harvey's definitely the kidnapper. 
Yeah, I, I get that again. Although, again, I did have the synopsis in front of me, spoiling it for me a little bit. But he gets all sinister again when he says he knows why um, Nick's going to bring the kidnapping into it. And it looks like he's going to shoot him before he says, oh, yeah, it's all about your family issues. He, he turns into like quite a sinister character. It's maybe he's to throw you off the scent a little bit that he is the arms dealer and he is actually dodgy. But obviously then he introduces him to his family and they just sat there in that room. I mean, it must have cost him a fair old packet to get his family over there and I mean, it's not exactly something you can do in a couple of hours either, is it, from LA or wherever they are to Mallorca? It must have been quite a, quite a long flight. But, um, yeah, they're obviously all just sat there. Yeah, because yeah, they, like, come over because they think he's, like, he's dead or he's some, something really bad's happening, don't they? And they're all, like, panicking. And it's like, man, we thought you were dying. He's like, no, no, I'm just, just out here making a movie. <laughs> yeah, and his wife seems more concerned about the fact that they can't feed the cats, so. <laughs> he's like she's like oh yeah I'll, I'll need to get back to feed the cats they might die it's like hold on <laughs> it's a bit of a random thing to think about. I mean I love my cat and everything but you know you thought your husband was going to die at one point yeah and then um, as we say there's a well, synopsis said should I say um, Lucas who's a true villain of the piece and he's just sat there eating a fucking bowl of fruity pebbles isn't he like, yeah. Harvey comes in and he's just sat there like munching away and he like pours him a fucking bowl and makes him eat him as well yeah, he does, doesn't he? Um, just before that, when um, Nick is talking to his family and his daughter starts having a proper go at him, he does a good Nick Cage face, doesn't he? His eyes are wide, wide open and so does his mouth. You get a close-up of him doing a proper Nick Cage stare. It did make me chuckle. <laughs> but, yeah, Lucas, I didn't really know what to think about him. He's he's sort of annoying, but he's quite cool at the same time. But, yeah, he's just sat there eating his Fruit Loops or whatever he's eating. And he's like, yeah, you have some too. Then Harvey's like, you're the one who kidnapped Maria. And he's like, Yes, ding, ding, ding. He's pretty casual about the whole thing. He is, yeah, because we've seen him like in the background a couple of times with another guy, like one of the henchmen type dudes who's in the room at this point as well. And they're kind of all just rolling their eyes, aren't they? Like They're like, oh, God, our cousin Harvey's just a bit you know, excessive or a bit over the top. He loves Nicolas Cage a bit too much. You don't really think much of them. And then out of the blue, suddenly he's the villain. It's like, well, he's barely been in the movie to really give the audience a chance to think anything. And now suddenly he's here telling Harvey to kill Nick Cage. Yeah, it's a bit strange as well. And I notice this quite a lot in these films. They they flip from speaking Spanish to English. And I, I don't know if that's what people who speak Spanish do, but they all seem to do it in these films and these TV shows as well, where one minute they're talking Spanish with subtitles, then they're talking in perfect English. I don't know if that's a thing or whether it just happens in these movies. Yeah, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It's almost like they want to prove the point, but it's like just choose a language and stick with it. Because one minute you're reading subtitles and you're like, oh, shit, English again. Yeah, it's really strange, isn't it? The way they just go back and forth. I don't really get that, but like I say, maybe it is a thing. I don't know. I only speak English and not very well. <laughs> so now Cage and Harvey face off, but neither can bring themselves to kill the other. Lucas sends his men after both of them, and they race back to the house to discover that Addy has been kidnapped. Cage tells Harvey, Olivia, and Harvey's assistant, Gabriella, uh, so it takes them, sorry, to the CIA safe house, only for the house to have been compromised. Martin has been killed, while Vivian sacrifices herself to kill Lucas's men before they can ambush the group. With Harvey's help, Cage and Olivia pose as a reclusive animal, uh, criminal couple to get close to Lucas. He figures out their plan, but they still manage to escape with Addie and Maria. And I've got to be honest, how this whole part of the movie, I just didn't really like. The whole bit where Cage and Harvey drive off and they're going to shoot each other and then they're like, oh, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. I like you, all this sort of stuff. That was kind of amusing just because I quite liked their acting and their chemistry was good. But this whole section of the movie just started to go really, I don't know, just unnecessary for me. I just wasn't really feeling it. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? They drive off and they're in a Land Rover this time, not that old Porsche. But I guess Nick 
did crash it a little bit before. Um, and yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because they, they swap shoes as well. And like, um, <laughs> Harvey's got like fucking van, um, Gucci shoes on, and Nick's got van, so he obviously gets the better, better deal there. Um, yeah, and then Nick's got the golden guns, and they're having this thing, this face off almost, but then they're like, no, we like each other. Yeah, it was just a bit fucking silly, to be honest. And then there's a, a random car chase where they're in the Land Rover, and Luke's men are on motorbikes, aren't they? It's a little sort of car chase scene. Yeah, and I suppose the action, like the actual car chase itself, wasn't too bad. Um, obviously, it was done a bit too much comedy value and stuff in there. And then, like I said, they get to the safe house, which has all been compromised and stuff. And then it's um, Cage and his wife. They dress up, don't they? And Cage is dressed up as this fucking, I don't know what he's supposed to be, kind of like, look like Keith Richard on acid. But um, <laughs> it's just fucking dreadful the way he comes in. <laughs> fucking, and and that's not been funny. Like, there's no one in the world, uh, Lucas especially, who wouldn't have realized that was, you know, not Nicolas Cage in makeup. It's so obvious. Yeah, I know. There's one quite funny bit in the car chase just before that, isn't there? Where they, they stop the Land Rover and the bloke, one of the guys on the bikes hits the back and goes into the, the back of the Land Rover. And then Harvey's like, it's okay, he's totally knocked out. And then he just gets up and then Nick Cage whacks him with his helmet. That's quite funny. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's a coincidence, isn't it, that Nick's ex-wife happens to be an amazing makeup artist. And um, so they, they make him look like this old couple. And it's like, it's supposed to be like an old gangster, isn't it? Who's been off the scene for 20 years. Everyone thought he was dead, but he faked his own death or something. I don't know. But he's been off the scene for X amount of years. So that's who Nick pretends to be. But it's so obviously him. Yeah, because at first they're like, oh, yeah, we're just going to kill you because obviously you've been out of the game. And then it's the wife, isn't it, who ends up um, convincing Lucas that they are who they say they are, really, because she's obviously not like scared or like bowing down to him or anything like that. But, yeah, it's just a bit weird. And then they go into like the safe house and get kind of rumbled and then Harvey comes in and there's like a bit of a shootout but they don't really seem to kill anyone because I suppose you've got to think well Nick Cage at this point is still an actor so he's not actually going to kill anyone is he because he's kind of playing himself yeah. yeah I mean he's wearing a fucking Napoli tracksuit as well trying to be like this Italian fucking mafia boss I mean I don't know if mafia bosses wear football tracksuits I doubt it um <laughs> But he does quite a slick move. He grabs Lucas's gun and puts it to his head. So Nick Nick Cage has got the moves there. But then Lucas stabs him in the leg, doesn't it? And then yeah, that's when he rips his uh, wig and makeup off and realizes who he is. Yeah, and then when he gets out of it, doesn't he? He's got um, Lucas, or he's got the gun to someone's head. Then he ends up reading or reciting the script that he read at the start of the movie, doesn't he? For that part that he missed out on, but he delivers it like much more powerfully this time. Yeah, I mean, Lucas's guys are pretty shit as well because they're, they're shooting and then Nick shoots one of them. I don't think he kills him. And then Harvey shoots a couple as well. But they're, they're like not hitting anyone. They're fucking useless. So it's away with these fucking henchmen, though, isn't it? They are all fucking shit. You've got the boss who's generally just a bit of a weasel. We're talking kind of like James Bond terms here. Then all these henchmen that have got these like submachine guns and they're supposed to be like these efficient killers and they can't hit jack shit. Pretty much stormtroopers. Yeah. It is the same in every film, though, isn't it? Yeah. So now, Cage, Addy, Olivia and Maria race to the American embassy while Harvey and Gabriella stay behind to delay Lucas's pursuit. Upon arrival, he holds Cage at gunpoint, but Addy tosses him a knife which Cage uses to kill him, transitioning into the movie that Cage and Harvey completed, presumably based off of their adventure. Cage is applauded for his new film and congratulates Harvey before going home with his family to watch Paddington 2, now with a better relationship. And that was a bit... um. Weird, was it? I can't remember who it is. I think it's like Dem- Demi Moore, isn't it? Who starts playing his wife suddenly. Like, we see him stab the guy in the leg, but we don't actually see the conclusion of the fight. It does just transition into like the movie they've made, and then they're all in the theater watching it. That's a little bit jarring, I thought. 
Yeah, it's a bit strange, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, just when that sort of car chase, Javi jumps out the back of the Land Rover, he goes fucking mental. He's like shooting at Lucas, and all his men's like cars are all coming up. He's got the golden guns, hasn't he? And then Gabriella's got this fucking massive assault rifle. Yeah, yeah, it's quite weird, isn't it? And um, I, I, I don't know, like, because obviously he's been doing all this shooting, and they all like they were fingering him for like the cartel guy or like the kidnapper and everything, but. The fact that later on, like he's just, um, they made this movie and like he's like hiding, isn't it? After the movie, he comes down and it's like, oh, I didn't want to sit there because I'm too shy and everything. It's like, I'm sure your connections to the criminal empire would have still had you kind of like in trouble of some kind. Do you want to just like been let free and then gone off to make a movie about it or anything? Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's not supposed to be particularly serious, is it? But, um, I mean, it's the perfect throw that Addie does as well. She throws the, K- the Nick, Nick, the knife to Nick. And it's like perfect, it goes right to him. And obviously, like you say, then it transitions. But I'm pretty sure he makes like a ah, crazy noise as he like stabs him. Yeah. And then we get the, um, it's kind of like the happy ending, isn't it? Because he's been invited. They're at the theatre and everyone's congratulating him for making a good movie. And they're like, oh, you're going to come to the after party? And he's like, no, no, I'm uh, going home with my family. And then they go home and he's like sat there, the world's biggest fucking belt buckle. Looks like he's just won the fucking... I know WrestleMania or something, and then um, they end up just watching Paddington Two randomly. Oh yeah, it's got it's like a tarantula, isn't it, or something? That belt buckle. And his daughter's like, oh yeah, he was going to have a different one, but then he chose that one. But yeah, it's fucking huge, isn't it? I don't know what he's supposed to be um, representing. Obviously, it's a tarantula, but yeah, it's a bit random. And then, like you say, they're all happy families. They're watching Paddington Two, and then pretty much ends. So yeah, it's a strange ending. Yeah, it just kind of wraps itself up, um, which is pretty much what we're going to do about now, at least as far as the synopsis for this movie goes. So thank you to whoever wrote that on Wiki. The only thing left to do is give this one some uh, scores there. And do you want to go first, JT? I can't remember where we got to with who goes first. Uh, Yeah, I'll go first. I think it might even be my turn. But um, yeah, I'll go first anyway. Why not? So, well, I don't really know what to make of this film. Um, I've been looking forward to it, I have to say, um, since I first heard about it, because Nick Cage is funny. Pedro Pascal is a favourite of mine. Um, I mean, it's not terrible. It's not really very good either. Um, And I know it is taking a piss a little bit, and Pedro Pascal is always good. Nick Cage is good at playing Nick Cage in a random sort of way. I mean, the story is pretty bloody weak. Um, There are a couple of genuine funny moments. Um, the supporting cast are all okay, but they don't really get involved too much. The CIA agents, I thought, were a bit annoying, to be honest. Um, I didn't really warm to any of the um, the characters, apart from uh, Nick and Harvey, really. Um, I mean, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's 107 minutes long, so it's not particularly long. It could have possibly been 90 minutes, but, you know, it gets the story across well. Um, it's not a film I'd rush to watch again, but if someone else did put it on, I'd probably happily sit and watch it, particularly with a few beers, because I think, you probably need a few beers to watch this. I watched it on a Sunday morning, I think, so it wasn't really the right time to watch it. So overall, it's going to get two others from me. It's not the worst film I've ever seen, but I have to say I was a bit disappointed because I thought it was going to be better than it was. Um, but then most of Nick Cage's films tend to be a bit shit these days. So, um, yeah, two others for me, Brad Roll. Not terrible, but certainly not brilliant either. Oh, oh, very good stuff there, JT. Um I've got to be honest, I'm along a similar line to you, really. I've quite enjoyed, I, I quite like some of the older Nick Cage stuff, as we've mentioned before, we've done some of his old, uh, his other sort of movies and that. And personally, I liked his comeback with things like Mandy and Colour Out of Space. I quite like those films. Um, we've reviewed them, so if you want to go and check them out, then by all means do. Um, and I was looking forward to this because I think it had potential, but it just completely failed to live up to the potential that it had. And I think the main reason for this film is it just didn't seem to know what gear it was in. 
that was trying to do too much to make itself a bit too wacky or a bit too clever. And the movie wasn't good enough to try and be clever. It would have been better if it's just a more simple, like the movie of just him and Harvey together trying to think up a film and then just being on LSD. That would have been a movie worth watching. Throwing all their like the FBI and all that sort of shit in there. Just, I don't know, it just didn't do anything for me. And got to be honest, the movie, I was kind of glad when it was over. Um, a little bit. I mean, Cage and Pascal were both good in their own right, as we know. They can they can turn it on and be good actors when they have to be, at least into their own kind of like genres. Um, I usually rate a movie based on would I watch it again and would I own it and add it to my collection? And I think the answer to both of them this time is no. So I'm going to go with you, JT. Stick two others on this one. Um, I would watch it, like you mentioned. If someone stuck it on, yeah, I'd sit and watch it. And it probably is a lot better if you've had a few beers or maybe even some LSD. I don't know. Um, you might need something to really enjoy this film. But yeah, two others for me as well. Oh, good stuff, Brad. Well, we're on the same wavelength with this one. Yeah, I think it just fell a bit flat. It could have been a lot better. And like you say, it could have been a lot simpler. The CIA was just an unwelcome distraction, really. Um, but there we go. Um, not the worst thing I've ever seen. But like yourself, I was sitting there counting down the minutes till it finished, I have to say. Yeah. So there we go. That is our review of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Um, by all means, get in touch at the Hyperbarragos on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the uh, our review and our scoring. Do you like this movie or do you not like this movie? Um, let us know. And stick with us as we will be coming into the festive era. And we're aiming to do some Christmassy-themed movies all the way through December. We might be starting off, although it may not happen, but we're aiming to start off with the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special next week, which is now available on Disney+. Plus. It's only 45 minutes long, so we both should be able to manage to get through it and get a review in on time for it. So uh, stick with us for that one. Indeed, yeah. Should be all right. 45 minutes. Even I can manage that one, Bread Roll. <laughs> Absolutely. So as always, thank you for joining us. And this is Bread Roll signing off. And from EJT, I've just got one last thing to say. You're Nick Fucky. Whoa, we cage. <laughs>